So again, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome. I'm Silas, and I have the privilege of leading us today as we kind of journey together and discover a little bit more about what Christ is calling us into over the next five weeks. Um, in the Gospels, and where we've been, we've been going through the series on Teach Us How to Pray, but in the Gospels, um, did you know that the first disciples of Jesus only ever asked him to teach them one thing? In the written record, the disciples only ever asked Jesus to teach them one thing. And there's no record of anyone, the disciples, asking Jesus to teach them how to lead, how to preach, how to counsel, how to heal, how to cast out demons. No record of them asking Jesus to teach them how to plant churches or how to share the gospel. Out of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, the only recorded question that we have in this way and in this vein is, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. This is in Luke 11.1. 1. They may have asked other things. They probably did ask other things, but I'm pretty sure uh, that they did ask. Still, the record we have says they only asked him, teach us how to pray. How can we pray? It's with this request in mind and this framing from the disciples that we're going to follow in the wisdom of the disciples and learn how to pray faithfully over the next five weeks heading into Easter. Those are the trajectory that we're headed into. Now, last week, we began by naming some potential barriers we might have as it relates to prayer. Things that, uh, that keep us from wanting to engage this practice. So maybe, maybe we're busy, right? Life is really full. We got a lot going on. Maybe you're bewildered. We, we don't know exactly what to think about prayer. How do we engage it? What does it do? Does it make a difference in the world? Maybe we feel bewildered when we think about prayer. And the last thing we looked at last week was maybe you've been burned by prayer. You know, when we, when we pair moments of loss and stress in our life, and then we also have prayed, and things haven't shaken out the way that we had hoped, maybe you have felt burned by prayer. And that's a barrier to wanting to continue, wanting to have the conversation. My hope is that in this series, we can offer all of us a redemptive perspective and a formative reminder that Jesus did indeed teach the disciples how to pray. And within the words of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus invites us to practice prayer as well. So over the next five weeks, we're going to explore the Lord's Prayer, and we're kind of go line by line, section by section through it. Uh, we'll go portion by portion. And as a way of practicing what we preach, I want to just tease that each week we're going to invite people, starting on Monday, to a one-minute prayer challenge. And so be looking out for that as a way of responding. We can obviously extend further, but as one tangible action step, one minute, we can find a minute. And then we'll slowly build prompts through, uh, through the series as we go through the Lord's Prayer together. Friends, I am really glad that you're here. Again, if you are the first time uh, or if you've been here since before I've been here, it is great to be with you. Let us pray together and uh, cover this time in prayer. God, <coughs> God, we are grateful for the gift of this day. We're grateful for the way that you are forming us. <coughs> 
We pray that this spoken word would be faithful to your written word and that it would lead us to the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Meet us in this moment. We pray this with Christ by the Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Our scripture this morning is from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13, and we're going to be in the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen. Let us pray this together. Uh, So join me as we read our scripture and pray this prayer. Jesus said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we are forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. This is the word of the Lord, friends. As I mentioned earlier, over the next few weeks, we'll be going through the Lord's Prayer line by line. And as we look at our focus for the day, um, this is the, the passage of Scripture we're going to be thinking about. It's, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. The first verse, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. A question for us is, what? is one question that comes into your mind as you look at our focus for the morning, as you look at this verse. What's one question that comes when you... Could you read that on screen again, Cammy? When we get that focus up there, verse 9 in the scriptures. Any takers? What are questions that come when you pray this first line, when you think about this first line from the scriptures? Spencer. Oh, great question. Why wouldn't God's name be kept holy? That's a great question. Others? Ada, did you? Oh, no, sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. The presence beyond the name being kept holy. What's that mean? Yeah, that notion of holiness as being set apart. That's good. Thane? Um, why our Father in heaven as opposed to our Father here or everywhere? Oh, yeah. Our Father in heaven. There's a naming of place in this first line of the prayer. Yeah. Others? Anyone else? Yeah. What does it look like to keep God's name holy? Well, that's such a great question. When we pray it, Perhaps we need to know what we're praying? Great question. Anyone else? These are great questions. Um, And thank you for sharing the... Oh, was there one here? Alicia, I didn't see. Sorry. Bring it on. Let's go. Oh, this is the first line in the prayer. Why does it happen before everything else? That's a great question. I love that. Um, 
Ooh, yeah. So, like, where is this happening, and to what end, uh, if I'm capturing right? Like, we're praying this. There's already reverence at a, was naming for us. Um, but how do we embody this, or what does this look like lived out in community? Is that right? These are great questions. For many of us, um, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, sometimes we can just blow by what's being said, right? But as we can see, like, the depth of Scripture, the depth of God, we could spend a lot of time just answering those questions themselves. We're going to look at some of them. For many of us, my guess is that this is not the first time we've prayed this prayer, Maybe it's one of the first times we stop to reflect on this prayer, to reflect on what we're praying. Some of us have been Christians for long times. For others, not as much. But even in our engagement of faith, this prayer kind of sits in our consciousness, um, whether you are a Christian or not. You've likely heard this prayer prayed. And oftentimes we can fixate on a couple major things, kind of like our questions. We can fixate on, like, the metaphor of God. What does it mean to be God as Father? And, you know, we've wrestled with ways that this prayer, uh, in this prayer, God can be redeeming, you know, past hurts, wounds, that we may have had with our own experiences with Father. In some ways, that's what this prayer is doing. On one level, it is uh, taking language, and it's acting on it. This prayer from Jesus acts on the way we conceive and imagine the words of these prayers. God in good, God's goodness acts on the conception of uh, Father in ways that alter and redeem what Father can mean. You know, you think about baptism. When we think of baptism, Jesus, you know, oftentimes we frame baptism as uh, you go down and then you come up clean and you're a new creation. You're made new. In God. And this is good. This is a symbol of naming that we are new creation, that we are no longer sinful. The question is if baptism is going down and leaving clean from sin, and if Jesus was sinless, then why did Jesus get baptized? Why did Jesus get baptized? It's a question to think about. Now, historically in the Christian church, we would name that. The reason Jesus gets baptized is because when Jesus gets baptized, he is not being cleaned from sin. He's acting on the water. He changes what the water can do. And so it's not that water acts on God. It's God changes the things we have in the world that we then experience. This is what it means to live through the sacraments, through the way that God is engaging us. The water doesn't act on God. God acts on the water, the cleansing agent of the time, and says, there is another type of cleansing that God wants in your life. Our conceptions of Father don't act on God. God is redeeming our conceptions in their entirety. God is redeeming that word, that image, that role, that space. We have to remember that in the ancient world, Christians were originally labeled as atheists. Christians were originally seen as atheists in the ancient Near East. And 
this was because they didn't believe in the pantheon of gods. Do you, you know, we can know the pantheon, all the different gods from different places, and they all have big quarrels, but they essentially are bigger versions of humans with the power to do lots of things. They can fly, they can do all these sorts of things, right? And in the pantheon of gods, the Christian claim in this world as a monotheistic religion space is there's an assistance. There is one true God. And God isn't just a bigger, more powerful version of me. In the religious imagination of the time, Christians were seen as atheists. If we miss this, we miss how the Christian faith is rejecting the way we think of deity. And we end up missing the radical nature of God revealed in Scripture. Here's the great irony of the naming pattern of God. God is Father, God is Son, God is Spirit. A father needs a child to be a father. You've never, if I have a dog, I'm no, not a father. Well, maybe in this city. <laughs> That's a poor example. <laughs> maybe a different animal. But, uh, if I, you know, I need a child to be a father. In the same way, a son can't be a son without a father. But given our understanding of how procreation works, the son can't be the son without a mother, too. And so, does this mean that the Holy Spirit is Jesus' mother, or does it mean that the Holy Spirit is female? In modern theology, some would argue in that direction, right? And they would argue in that direction to make a, a short-term gain, pushing back against uh, more oppressive expressions of Christianity. But the witness of Scripture is more radical than this. It's more radical. Within the Christian faith, God is named as Father, Son, and Spirit, without mention of a mother, Precisely to show how unlike humans God is. Precisely to show that the Son doesn't come from the procreation within God. God is wholly other. And so before anyone takes their pitchforks out, that might sound scandalous, hear the words of St. Gregory of Nazianzus. This is from the 300s. He's known as the, the theologian of the Trinity. In church history, He's one of the foremost uh, ones who helped frame out how we understand God and God's self. Listen to what he says. Probably you could be foolish enough to suppose our God male because the word is, or the spirit neuter because he neither begets nor bears, or even that God cohabited with his own will, grammatically feminine in Greek, according to the old myths that's in the pantheon, to beget the son, which posits the androgynous god of Marcus and Valentinius. Those are two emperors at the time. And then he goes on and says, God is not like us at all in that way. God is using our language to explain to us in ways that we can understand while pushing the bounds of how we understand. God cannot be bound in our language. And so now hear me, friends. Why did we just go into all of this? Because as we pray, we need to recognize that in prayer, God is acting on our language, not the other way around. 
In prayer, God meets us where we're at, with what we have, using our own language to communicate with us. In prayer, God greets us. And in prayer, as we respond to how God greets us, in prayer, God is redeeming our imagination as we pray with Christ by the power of the Spirit. In this first verse, there, in this first verse, there are more things to explore, right? You can focus on the metaphor for God. Now we can focus on the location of God, God in heaven, our Father in heaven. Maybe you've envisioned a, a distance between ourselves and God in prayer. And we're able to, you know, maybe bridge the gap between us and God up in heaven, between a distant God and the local reality we have. I want us to think and look at all the translations that are up here. This is most of the uh, English translations. And never mind that in the Greek, the word for heaven here is plural. Heavens, not singular. But notice, if you look at the literal translations here, most of them, or all of them say, our Father in the heavens, or in heavens. And then our classic interpretations, our modern ones, move to the singular, in heaven. In heaven. Now, this is just a note, right? Like, why does this happen? What do we do with this? I'm going to actually parking lot that question because next week we'll talk more about heaven. But for now, when we meditate on this first line and pray uh, and we pay attention to the questions that stir within us, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Maybe our questions, you know, they, they fixate on the location. Where is God? What are the heavens doing? Is heaven on earth? Is it up above us? How do we make sense of this prayer? We can reflect on the metaphors of God. We can reflect on questions about the location of God. Another question we might have is about the holiness of God. What's that about? We, we had a question. Um, sorry, I don't know your name, but he framed out how Holiness is separation, right? Separation. What does it mean to hallow something, to make holy, to make as sacred, to set apart in that way? I appreciate how the New Living Translation, the one we've read, um, tries to capture how God is already holy. And the prayer Jesus teaches his disciples isn't just a description. It's an invitation for the disciples and for us to discover what holiness looks like, to discover what holiness looks like. In the life of Jesus, this is kind of the key concept. Because of God's holiness, God doesn't separate from creation. In Christ's death on the cross, God separates for the sake of creation. And so it names out a distance, it names out a separation. Holiness is separation from but the trajectory it goes towards is to an end of being for creation. Separation for. So we have the metaphors of God, we have the location of God, we have the holiness of God. These are all questions and things we can unpack in this first verse. Clearly, there's a lot. And don't mishear me, I believe there is immense value in meditating on the questions that come up in the Lord's Prayer. The questions it opens for us to bring back, back into prayer, uh, prayer that we're invited to uh, engage with other, 
It's because of this and because of the ways that prayer and reading scripture kind of feed each other. As we read the scriptures and pray, the questions that are there, which raise more questions, which brings us to more scripture, as it feeds each other, I want to share the question that this prayer had me ruminating on all week. It comes from the very first word of Jesus' prayer. When we pray this prayer, who is included in the R? The verse is, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. When we pray this prayer, who is included in the R? For the last 10 minutes, we've reflected on questions that this prayer evokes. And we've seen how in prayer, God shapes our imagination to know God more. There's so many things to explore. We can, again, look at the metaphor. We can look at the location. We can look at the holiness of God. We can look at all these things. But in this first word, who is included in the R? Do not miss that the first word of the Lord's Prayer In this first word, Jesus makes a claim that is so astounding, if you're anything like me, you've maybe blown past it your whole life. We don't pray, my Father. God is not my own magical, personal genie. Praying with God, to God, isn't... uh, Abby and I have been watching Survivor Uh, It's not like getting an idol, so to speak, that saves only one person from elimination. That's not how this works. While the rest of the world is left to fend for itself, God does not act in that way. When Jesus says, this is how you pray, our Father, that first word sets the tone for how we understand every other word that follows. From the outset, this prayer invites us into a radical posture of expansion. Who is included in our Father? This is one way that prayer can make a tangible difference in the world. As we pray, our compassion for the rest of the world expands. It grows. As we pray, our imagination that causes us to see all people as children of God changes. George Woodruff is a pastor in the American or in the African Methodist Episcopal Zionist Church tradition. Uh, He hits the nail right on the head when he says it like this. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. It's how that love for Christ manifests in the people in your life. Who is included in the R? Who is included in this prayer where we can name that God is our Father? That's a good thing. We can name God is in heaven. That's a good thing. We can name that God is sacred, that God is making God's name holy. That's a good thing. Who is included in the first word? The test of Christianity is not loving Jesus. It's loving Judas. You might even go further and say, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, who is included in the first word? Who haven't you included in your prayers? Who hasn't been included in your prayers? 
as we think about this, we meditate on this, this will set the tone for how we understand every other thing we pray through this prayer. It sets the tone for whether or not our faith is an individual space. It sets the tone for whether or not this prayer changes our lives and changes the lives of the world around us through how it changes our lives. Hear these words from uh, author, theologian, Bell Hooks. And let them work on you as you think about the question. Can we get that question back on there, um, Kimmy? Thank you. So as you think about this question, hear these words and let it work on you. Bell Hook says, I am often struck by the dangerous narcissism fostered by spiritual rhetoric, that sometimes can be prayer, that pays so much attention to individual self-improvement and so little to the practice of love within the context of community. If our spirituality is a self-improvement plan, emptied of collective care and provision for the vulnerable, it is time to question it. She'll go on and say, many of us, sometimes we seek community solely to escape being alone. Escape the fear of being alone. And then she names, knowing how to be solitary is central to the art of loving. When we can be alone, we can be with others without using them as a means of escape. We can be with others without using them as a means of escape. I wonder if sometimes in the way we've been formed and taught how to pray, we have done it in a way that takes us away from that first word of this prayer that says, I'm going to have my spiritual life here individually, do my thing with God. We got our thing going on. And then whatever overflows, maybe that will impact the world. This prayer pushes back on that instinct in the very first word. Who is included in the R? Today, we have done a baby dedication. We have welcomed people into not just the family of God, but in this particular community. We're also going to participate in communion here, the body of Christ, a practice that is historic, that connects us to believers from time past and from time now and beyond. But also, we want to be a community that continues to have this cycle of receiving of growing together and so as we have done the dedication portion we have prayed and engaged the families there's a couple things i want to highlight that they're more than just tactile ways for us to respond they're not gimmicks we have some art that we've created for each family here on the side they're pictures made of trees and we get to hang them. And families, you get to take those and bring them home with you. And for all of us, if you would, there are ink pads beside. And we would love for you, after you take communion, to put your fingerprint as the leaves on the trees. 
and fill out the tree. Friends, this is a tangible reminder for every one of y'all. Where's the other? Over there. For every one of y'all. That this community wants to be with you. And we want to grow with you. And we want to see you flourish. You are included in the R. And the work of God is always making us expand out who that is. Expand out our borders. So we have these, and friends, after we all take communion, if you would, when we come down and we cycle over, we have an ink pad in the side, ink pad over here, and there's wipes there. Stop by and fill out that tree. Families, you get to take that home as a reminder of who you are with us. But then also, out beyond that, we want to make sure that as a congregation, we continue to be in prayer and support for everyone. So we have seed paper at the back, and that will be on the back table as you leave. We invite you to plant those little flowers, and anytime you see them, remember, pray for these families we have just dedicated. This is an act that continues to feed, that continues to grow. When we think about who is included in the R, who is welcome in the family, this is one way we expand who is here. Not just a performative act, but something that holds the communion together. It's an act of coming to receive and giving and receiving again. And so, as we close this reflection and sermon, that's the one question I really wanted us to embody today. Again, there's so many questions that could filter out from this passage. We named some. We had questions that raised other questions. They're good things. But this first word in the prayer, don't miss the radical impact of this word. It's pressing us to engage the next four weeks in a different way than perhaps we're used to when we pray this prayer. And as we do so, may we be formed into the image of God to expand who we welcome into community and who we share relationship with. There's no better way to uh, practice that line and that thread than coming to the table of God. This is the table of the Lord. It is made for those who have been here often and those who have not been here in a long time. It is made for all who desire to meet God. And so, if you would, let us recite together this uh, prayer over the table of communion. Join me, friends. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often, and you who have not been here in a long time. You to follow, and you who have failed. Come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is God's will that those who want God should meet God here. I want to invite our servers up. And so today we have... uh, We have these cups, and there's going to be a cracker at the top, juice at the bottom, the two levels. And then outside of that, if you uh, have an allergy to gluten or anything, we have these little ones here. And so Patrice will have both uh, 
both the cups and the, the special crackers. Let me pray over this meal for us and allow it to nourish us to be the kinds of people that God desires to shape the world through. And as I do that, let's have the band come up. God, we are grateful for the gift of this day. We're grateful in this time and moment to pause, to reflect on who you are, to know you in spirit and in truth, to know you in person, and to know you as Lord and Savior of our world. We pray you would meet us in this meal, that as we partake, you would be expanding our vision of who you are and who you call us to be. We own that spirituality is not a self-improvement plan. It's a relationship that you are working in us and through us. And so, Lord, come quickly. Make us new. And we pray with Christ by the power of the Spirit that you will draw us into your life in transformative ways for our communities. Everyone said amen and amen. Friend, as the band plays, we welcome you. Come up. Well, I've Andrew on this side, so we can spread out a little bit. Um, and then after, be sure to stop by and uh, fingerprint up the art here. If you need a wipe after, when you've gone through all of them, there's a wipe at the end to clean your fingers. It shouldn't stain. Shouldn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, come, friends, and let us partake in the, uh, the meal of the Lord.